Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. We're back after a longer than we expected hiatus. Um, and we're back with a Celtic are knocked out of Europe podcast, which is not always the most fun thing to do, but it's something that we're getting very used to here at Celtic. The debrief around the end of November, the blame game has started. Was it the players, the manager, the tactics, the board, all of the above? What was it that went wrong for Celtic in Europe this year? Um, we're going to try work our way through some of those topics. We obviously can't go through all of them tonight. And we've already done quite a number of those things before, but we'll try to go through uh, the game last night and also some of the reasons that why we think Celtic keep failing on the biggest stage in European football. James and Alan are with us as always. We're live on YouTube. If you're watching, do leave a comment. Let us know what you think of the European campaign. Let us know what you think went wrong and what needs to be done to fix it. James, how are you? I'm good. Our ability to try and get live here today was about uh, as as uh, successful as our uh, European campaign this season. But um, technical difficulties, so apologize to the people that were were waiting for us to go live here. But yeah, yeah, good good to be back after a couple of weeks. Um, I joined the effort, if, if you can't tell, with my fair hair. And uh, just the, the solidarity with you, Enda. I want you to know the level of sacrifice this is. Uh, uh, Alan probably knows there's this uh, married man social disorder called coitus interruptus that arrives. That's the Latin phrase for it. Um, and with my wife, that's what a mustache does. So I've been suffering in many ways this month, Celtic, mustache, and coitus interruptus. Oh, God, we're back, aren't we? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Alan, you've been, you've been sick for the last couple of weeks, so that's kind of one of the reasons why we haven't been able to do the podcast. So you've been suffering in many ways, the game at the weekend firstly, and then <laughs> the game last night. So, I mean, it's not been a fun couple of weeks to follow Celtic. They have not been the most entertaining team in the world, to put it lightly. No, for sure. I mean, you know, we'll get into the, the European game. I think the, the Motherwell game was was a was a bit painful as well in many ways. Um, yeah, so lots to unpack. So, uh, yeah, where do you want to start? <laughs> right, well, we'll start with the game last night because we can do the 
we can do the overarching theme as we go, but we'll we'll start with the game last night. Um, it was two 0 It was the classic Celtic game where they were in the game for most of it. Didn't really lay a glove at all on Lazio, despite having most of the possession, and then conceded a pretty shite goal, and then proceeded proceeded that with another shite goal again uh, to lose the game two <laughs> 0 Is that just, the shite? And is that the shite double? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's a it's a classic Celtic way of doing things. You know, you know, it's like waiting on two. It's like waiting on a bus. You know, two always comes at once. And when Celtic concede in European football, they tend to concede two to three in a row in the space of about six minutes. And that's what they did last night. So, um, so I get, look, Alan, uh, we'll put it to you this way: last night for me, and I've been quite patient with the team. I've always I've said from the start of the season that. You know, you don't know what the, some of these players are going to be capable of until you actually get a good look at them for the full, uh, for a full, like fair, reasonable amount of time. Uh, last night was, and the weekend as well, was probably like the hammering home factor that some of these players that Celtic have brought in this summer just aren't at the level that are needed to not only progress Celtic from where they were last season, but like to actually just maintain parity of where Celtic were in European football last season. Because like last year, Celtic had a really difficult Champions League group. It was, you know, Angie's first time in Champions League, so it was always going to be difficult tactically wise. But you, we had a go. Uh, Celtic had played two fairly bang average sides that aren't going to do anything in this competition in Feyenoord and Lazio. And Lazio was probably one of the worst teams that Celtic have played in Champions League in a number of years as well, and they didn't get anywhere near them. So, Alan, like, in terms of standard-wise, there are a lot of players at the club at the minute that just don't meet the standard. I need to be consistent. and I don't feel like not being consistent, really, with what I think I said at the beginning of the season, which is we simply haven't got enough quality in the team to compete in a Champions League group. I don't really care who, who which sides were drawn against, and, that, and that's pretty much been borne out. So, uh, you know, I've been pretty, I think, if you look back, pretty sanguine about each and every Champions League game because my expectations have been that providing we don't get absolutely drubbed um, and, and we kind of, you know, do our best. I don't I don't see what more can be done given the quality of the player that's available to, to the manager. Um, chuck in a few injuries, which every team's got to deal with. Um, and, you know, it, we're, we're potentially going to struggle. But again, I come back to performance. People, again, fixate on, yeah, one point, you know, out the group with a game to play. Obviously, it's a results business. I get that. But again, if you look at the performances, you look at you look at the game yesterday, you know, I, I, I have got, I'm completely supportive of the way Brendan Wood just set up the team and the way that they played, whereby he's trying to effectively defend with the ball. So rather than put park ten players behind the ball, uh, you know, play a low block, he's defending with a lot of, you know, possession that isn't really going anywhere. But you know, you know, Lazio still had twenty odd shots with forty five percent possession. How much of, would they have had if we'd given them 70 percent possession? Right. So, you know, I, I've been doing a bit of digging in the last two weeks uh, between uh, sort of uh, sweaty flu <laughs> outbreaks. Um, and one of, one of the things I've discovered uh, is, is is a little model that I've built, which essentially is um, expected goals and then outcomes, expected goals, differentials and outcomes. So you, you recall, you're James, some James and I go on a lot and you recall, for example, last season, 
we were waxing lyrical about um, Postacoglu and the fact that we were getting near to between one and a half and two XG better than each team, or, or more or less week on week, right? And and when Celtic get up to that level, they're, 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 you can actually model it, and they're probably winning, you know, ninety percent. 90 plus percent of expected points, let's call it, you know, that are available. So if you do the same, long story short, right? I did exactly the same for European games. And even, even where Celtic are getting to like plus one, plus 1 1.5 XG more than the opposition in a game, their, 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 the number of expected points that they actually achieve from that doesn't hardly change. So whether it's zero, whether it's near zero or whether it's 1.5, Celtic win about 60% of, of the available points, if you want to put it that way. What does that all mean? To me, it means that Ange was wrong. <laughs> it means that, you know, going all out on the attack, going guns blazing against teams that are, to all intents and purposes, of a higher quality and, and taking the game to them isn't going isn't to yield you any, any better outcomes. And, and that's the results tell us that in Europe over, over a long period. And so Rodgers was, is correct to do what he's done in all the games, which is to keep Celtic competitive for as long as possible in the match and keep the games as tight as he possibly can for as long as possible. Because then, you, you, as you get in towards the latter part of the game, you know, you, you're then looking for, you, can you get that, you take that one chance? Can you get that break from a corner or whatever it might be, right? Now, in reality, of course, that hasn't happened. We kept it tight in Feyenoord. We basically nullified them in Feyenoord, in Rotterdam. And then, you know, the, the dual heart risk came to fruition just before half time. And then the sending offs completely bollocks the game up. Um, again, home to Lazio, we kept in the game. It was nothing in it. You get to the last 10 minutes. We score a goal that's a fraction offside. They score one that's a fraction onside and we lose the game. It's, it's that, 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 that could easily, easily have gone the other way. And we'd be sitting here in a much different, uh, you know, position. You know, we, we got a, a draw against Atletico Madrid, which, which you know, it was a terrific actually result, uh, given the quality of that side. And obviously, um, actually, we played really well for 20, 25 minutes in Madrid. People forget that we lost the early goal, but we actually matched them toe for toe with control for 20, 25 minutes until Maeda got sent off, and then it all, all fell apart. And then again, last night. Last night, if anything, Celtic were the stronger team going into the last stages of the game, and they don't get that bit of luck. They, that little bit of luck goes the other way. Now, Celtic didn't deserve their luck because you know there wasn't sufficient quality in the final third to force a mistake, to force that ball the way that it did for, for them in the last few minutes. But again, I come back to performance. Given the hand that Rodgers has, given the lack of quality, even versus last year, Squad. I think they set the team up the right way. I think by and large they played pretty well for most of the games. They kept the games competitive, apart from obviously the Atletico Madrid away in the second half. And therefore, I, I can't, I can't get, I can't get to, you know, I've read so much hysteria really. I suppose online and people throwing mud at this player, and that player, and da 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 da. I can't. I just can't. I just can't go there. I just can't. I, this is exactly kind of what I thought was going to happen. I think he's done the best that he could do. I really do. We haven't got the breaks. Right. One other thing I'll add. One other thing I'll add. And I think this is a this is like a non-analytical thing, if you like. Um, I think Celtic and Celtic supporters are kind of cursed. 
expectation that Celtic have to play attacking football in each and every game. You'll need to look across the city to see how, how they play in Europe, how defensive they are. No, no, no sort of shame in that, right? No sort of regrets about that. And they get far better results in Europe. Let's be completely honest about that by playing defensive football in Europe. It's the only way a club like Celtic is going to get, get points. The way that Celtic <clears> did it, I really like. We didn't park the bus. As I say, we, we played defensively by keeping possession, which is a really sensible thing to do. Postacoglu's teams just ran out of steam because they kept giving the ball away because they kept trying to score a goal and then the other team just kept it, kept it, kept it and then hit on the break. So, right, I'll stop there. But yeah, I can't, I can't join the hysteria. Sorry if that disappoints people. What about you, James? Do you buy into what Alan said there? Yeah, generally, yeah. The no, nothing's really changed since the first game against Feyenoord in my mind, which is um, we kind of went in. Uh, I framed it as a litmus test, meaning that I, I don't think we could have had a more friendly uh, draw in the group. Um, there might have been one other group that was kind of you know uh, plus or minus in in um, favorable. Uh, uh, pot construction, so to speak. And, um, you know, I, we, we have been, but I, I, I had my head down while I was talking because I got caught on a call and I didn't have a chance to put some numbers together I was looking to do. So I just added up the uh, non-penalty XG when, when it was 11 v 11 in the game so far. And it's 2.28 to Celtic to 4.19. Right. So that's, that's what you would expect given in a good scenario, meaning that that keeps you in a, uh, a puncher's chance environment, which is all we can ask for um, given the state of the squad, given the injuries. Um, and I, I, I just, I don't think we've really learned anything new since the fine word game, other than reinforcement that I think that the coaching staff put you know, again, you can quibble on little things. Um, you know, I, I think there's some reasonable discussion about maybe shape and going into the game with the the, the players that were available and maybe experimenting a little bit. Um, but I, I don't think that's black and white, man. That that's there's a huge room for for I think reasonable disagreement there, uh, and you only really you know know once you try it, so to speak, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I think we, we've been competitive given what we have, but what we have is just nowhere near um, good enough. And I, I think Alan's point at the end there is of vital importance, meaning that, and this is why I, I think both of us, and I know I can speak for myself, harped on the issue of goalkeeper position in Europe so much, is because you have no prayer given this circumstances, unless you have a keeper that's going to win you a game or at least win you points. Um, and, you know, we just haven't had that. Uh, and again, I don't think Hart's been terrible, um, but, you know, we, we need the kind of performance like Bruges got from Mignolet last season that got them a s second spot. And, you know, they ended up getting obliterated in the knockout stages anyway, which again, that's going to happen. I mean, that's the whole point here. It's, it's, we're, we're not likely to get, make a deep run. It can happen. You never know, but we're not likely to make deep runs in the champions league. It's, you know, getting up to that next level and to become a serious kind of late stage Europa League level. Obviously, that's all changing next season, but um, that tier of, of club. And 
yeah, I just, I just, similar to Alan, it just all kind of went the way expected. And I'd say on a slight nudge on the upside, as far as how well set up we were and, you know, generally speaking, how well we performed. I I was, to be honest, I was expecting even worse 11 v 11. I mean, I thought we actually held our own, for example, in that at at let the go of Madrid game um, far better than I expected. Mm. There's a lot of discussion going on in the comments below about the game plan. And uh, Alan, you mentioned the the way that Ange played versus the way that Brendan played. Um, if you throw in, I'm going to throw in the sort of the negative style game plan into that as well. In that you park the bus. All three of those, um, all three of those game plans come with the exact same risk, in my opinion. It's you know it's varying various different types of risk, but it all comes down to are those players good enough to actually get a result here? Because if if you go out to park the bus, you're being overly negative. If you concede early, or if you concede at all, like what's your what's your plan B there? You've gone out to get a draw and you're not going to get that. So you, you have to attack at some point. With Brendan's uh, style of play where he's trying to control the game, control the possession, avoid giving away too many chances. Again, that's still quite a negative thing. If you concede early, you're still sort of going out with the intention not to score. You're still sort of going out with a passive sort of game plan. And then with Angie's style of play, you go out all guns blazing trying to win the game, but you do gas very early in the game and you end up making yourself vulnerable. So I think ultimately it comes down to your players. Are your players good enough to get a result here? And I think Celtics players... At the moment, I mean, like, like I, I don't want... I, I never like going too personal with these things and this is not dig at him because I've I think he's been a great servant to Celtic and probably underrated if you look back at his career but James Forrest should not be starting for Celtic at this stage in the Champions League that that is a reality of where his career is at it's sort of you know it's about two to three years since he should have been realistically starting and I know that's down to injuries and stuff but I think the mad thing here Alan is that we've ended up with a situation where James Forrest is starting at left wing, we've got um, Yang starting on right wing. He's probably a third to fourth choice uh, winger at best. Um, Greg Taylor is still starting. Bernabe, the left back, just doesn't seem to be existing on the planet anymore. Uh, Joe Hart is still starting to go. Scott Bain is still Celtic's backup goalkeeper. We have an extraordinary big squad. It's It's like 36, 37 players at this point. And you'd probably say maybe five of them are good enough for the Champions League. You know, like even the backups aren't good enough to be backups at this point, Alan. And I'm not going to say that we're back to square one in terms of the squad development, but I mean, it seems like we probably are a little bit. Like we're almost back to like the 2020 season now where it just looks like we need to get rid of about 10, 11, 12 players and bring in, you know, six really good ones. Yeah, listen. You 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 look at the team that played that night, and and, and I think should be starting a Champions League game, right? What chance have you got? Five players out of it's less than half the team, I think should have been starting that game. I don't as I don't you know. I was astonished that we actually got to eighty two minutes, and and we're actually looking like we we might even nick the game at that point. Um, that's how, that, and that's the benefit of staying in the game, and, and having that control. Is I know it's not thrilling, I know it's not exciting, but you know James James Forrest played one forward pass, completed one forward pass, 
Right. Yang, to me, if you'd picked a 15-year-old out of the academy and thrown him in, you wouldn't have got any better or worse performance. He looks like he's learning how to play the game, frankly. Um, so I don't want to go through them all. We know the ones that are just, you know, the, 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 the wing positions have been a disaster this season, absolute disaster. Uh, I was just looking there, you know, between them, Palmer and Yang, who at the moment are our first choice wide players, have provided four chances for Kyogo so far this season. Four. That's it. All season. Four four shots Kyogo's had off of passes from Yang and Palmer. What, ch- what chances has he got? Right. Um, we haven't, we haven't um, you know, we talked a lot at length, at tedious length about Rio Hotati, but my goodness, do we miss him now? Because we haven't got anyone even close to Rio Hotati's level to come in and play as a number eight. I think Bernardo is, has been a revelation in the sense that, as I say, off the ball and defensively, he's actually excellent. Uh, he's athletic, he gets the pitch, he fills gaps, he, he's where he should be, he gets interceptions in. He's like Matt O'Reilly without all the creative stuff. Um, but you need that creative stuff. You're going to play as a number eight for Celtic. You know, Ber- Bernardo has played three passes for Celtic this season. Three. And that's astonishing for a number eight that plays for Celtic. That's just incredible. Um, you know, we, we oh, Holmes been given a chance. And, you know, he looks a really gifted footballer, but he just hasn't taken his chance. He's, he's not found a way to influence any of the games that he's been in. He's not found a way to get on the ball. He's not found a way to make a difference to the team. So suddenly, you know, you're looking at four creative positions, O'Reilly, you've got the two wingers and you've got the other number eight. And three of those positions are at best erratic. I mean, Palmer Palmer has put in some good performances, but he's also, uh, you know, been awful. I mean, he, you know, gives the ball away for fun. In fact, in fact, he's on, he's on, he's on for setting the record for the final of any player that we've had since I've kept records. Because when you play for Celtic, you can't just play like you did it, like Palmer did against Aberdeen, which was an outrageous performance, and then do nothing against Mother Week. You can't do that. That's not good enough for Celtic. You have to have that level of consistency. If you look at Jota, right, and you look at his expected goals plus expected assists in each game, there's not a big variety. You know, he was consistent. Yes, he, he took a lot of risks. He gave the ball away a lot, but he also created a lot. And that's that's the level you need to get to to play for Celtic. And we just don't have that in the wide areas. And we don't yeah. have it in, number, in the key attacking midfield areas. And that's before we even get to the fact that, you know, again, bless, bless Liam Scales, played really well for 80 minutes and then just exploded in the last 10 minutes. And guess what? You lose the game. That, 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 but that's the risks that you're carrying. That's the risk you, you know. The same with Joe Hart, as, as you know, we were doing great in Finder until Joe Hart can't get across to a 40 yard shot. We knew about this risk. Guess what? It manifests itself. It's again, yeah. this is why I can't get agitated, especially at Rogers and a lot of the players. This was always going to happen. Yeah, uh, I'm not to be not to be Liam, Liam Scales, uh, PR man again here, but there there were a couple of occasions when Cameron Carter Vickers mm. let his man at the back. Like the this, the first goal last night was Cameron Carter Vickers. It wasn't Liam Scales. You know what I mean? Like there are there are also <laughs> moments from it just it, it felt perfect. That, I mean, you can't. I know, but yeah. he doesn't track him. Like I mean, like you, you know, you, we also have to 
question some of the big performers, like big players in the Celtic team, like Cameron Carter Vickers, like Matt O'Reilly, like uh, Cal McGregor, like uh, Kyogo. I, Kyogo, I feel sorry for because he's being stifled by the system a little bit. If the wingers aren't creating, then Kyogo's not getting on the ball. But Cal, Cal McGregor's been per. Uh, in the last couple of games in Europe, Cameron Carter-Vickers has been at fault for a couple of goals as well. So, like, as much as this is a quality issue, there is also the the age-old issue of Celtics' best players not performing when they really need to do in Europe. Like, that has also been an issue for Celtic over the last couple of years. Their form in the Europa League versus their form in the Champions League, it's the exact same thing, the exact same issues, even though the quality in the Europa League is much, much worse than the Champions League like there are issues with Celtic in Europe that I feel is a, a psychological thing but uh, we'll come we'll come back to that at some other stage there's one co- uh, comment in I just want to touch on really quickly it's from you and boy Martin and this isn't a dig at you by the way so I'm not it's just the general overall uh, mindset about Martin O'Neill so he says that Martin O'Neill had the perfect system for us in Europe eight big physical players who can defend and bully the opposition with two or three quality players up front Martin O'Neill's Celtic team were on par with the European Giants they had quality quality players they had world how many, how many points? Players. how many points did Martin O'Neill win in Champions League away games yeah but like there one, is I, one, I think one, I think this, one. Yeah, lost every other but, game but I also think I think this also this isn't by the way you and it's it's not a dig at you by the by any stretch of the imagina- imagination it's just the mindset in Celtic the expectations around them because of Martin O'Neill's European exploits in the Europa League or UEFA Cup as it was back then has set a an, a, a really unfair bar of where Celtic are at in reality for European football now they are not on the same level as they were back in the the days that Martin O'Neill was in charge. They don't have a world-class striker, a proper world-class striker in Henrik Larsson who would have slotted into the best of the best teams. And I, in fact, he went on to win the Champions League two years after he left Celtic with Barcelona. The year after he left Celtic with Barcelona, he went on to win, win the Champions League. Like Celtic are not at that level anymore on the global stage. And the sooner that Celtic fans accept that, I think we need to readjust our mindset and where we should be going in Europe. But uh, sorry, that that was a that was a rant that wasn't necessary on today's podcast. Uh, can we talk about bringing in players? Because I think Twenty Minute Tim's did a a poll on what was most to blame, and it was like I think it was like eighty nine percent or something said the board uh, in terms of the transfers and the the people brought into the the club, and it's an interesting one. Um, the question around the quality that's coming in and how do you predict how they're going to go, James? Because like Celtic brought in what you would put in quotation marks as um, development players. Uh, for example, like home is a development player, younger players that are, you know, expected to develop and, and go on to, to do great things. And some people were saying in about the the transfers that Celtic should be aiming for better quality ones like Jota and Edouard. But when when Celtic brought in Jota and Edouard, Edouard was playing on loan at Toulouse, having not made a, a an inward into the PSG senior team. He had 16 games. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. For Toulouse. And Jota had played 16 games on loan to Real Valo de Lide, who were at the bottom of the La Liga. Um, having just coming up for the second division, he didn't make it into the Benfica senior team, having had a really decent underage uh, career. So how do you predict the quality of the players that you're going to bring in as development players? How do you know which ones are going to be the Jota and Edouards versus the Yangs and the Holmes of the world or the Bernardos, for example? You have to be smart. And, you know, the the... The red herring that um, you're not going to be perfect. Well, of course, I mean, your, your hit rate is not going to be 100%, but it's about marginal improvements to move a coin toss to 75% or to 80%. Um, and to also build in, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I can only use the term that I'm familiar with from my background. It's convexity, meaning that you you need that ability to have when you do hit, it's not a bunch of Carter Vickers who is as good a player as he is. He's not going to end up getting sold for 40 million, right? He's, he's may end up being a solid player that we sell on to a bottom half uh, English premier league club, that kind of level. And maybe, you know, my guess would be maybe 10 or 15 million, something like that. Um, you, you need to be able to build in that convexity of someone, you know, like an Edward of a talent and pedigree level with, um, the athleticism that maybe develops and you sell at the right time. Um, and maybe the team has a little bit of success to have some of that shine on the players. Right. So you have to, you have to have that kind of perfect storm, so to speak, and then repeat it. Um, and I, you just have to get smarter at doing it. And, you know, I, I, as you guys know, I do this benchmarking exercise and 
I, I, I've been singing the same song ever since Ange arrived, which is it's, it hasn't really shifted that much. I mean, outside of a couple of guys that Ange knew or guys that his agent knew, uh, like Kyogo, um, you know, recruitment just has not been good. And that Ange ball kind of, and the dynamic of Ange ball versus the domestic league masked a huge amount of these kind of longer term issues. So I, I mean, I, it sounds simple, but it's very complicated. I mean, that you just have to get smarter and um, have quality of people identifying talent and bringing them into the club and pipelining it. And I, yeah, my, my, my big issue, the last thing I'll say, sorry, is that it's, and I talked about this the last couple of years, is that the industry is getting more efficient farther down the age curve. And that it's it's harder now than it would have been two, three years ago, meaning that, you know, as you've seen with Ferguson going to Brighton and, you know, some of these the, the big clubs now are buying and playing 18, 19, 20 year olds. So it's going to be even harder now. I mean, for Celtic to be thinking that we're going to be buying a bunch of 23 and 24 year olds that are going to have that upside, I think is mm. borderline ludicrous. I mean, there will be always be outliers, but generally by the time a player gets to that stage that we're going to be able to afford and given our proclivities right now or lack thereof, as far as talent identification, I just don't see the hit rate in that age group being now you need quality there. You need, you know, consistent of a level. Um, but we've been, we've been missing on that level. Yeah. You know, Haxabanovich, Obligard. I mean, some of these I'll call middle-aged. I mean, here I am, a 48-year-old calling 25-year-olds, right, middle-aged. But in the modern sporting environment, they are middle-aged. Um, yeah. And that is very difficult. Hmm. Well, that was actually going to be my, my follow-up question for you, Alan. Uh, Tom Brady says that the price will tell you that Edward came in for $9 million, Jota came in for seven. They didn't. They came in on loan. Like Celtic... Bought, brought them in on loan, a loan to buy, and then when they were good enough, they spent the money. It wasn't a situation where they Celtic spent that money. And also, the price doesn't tell you. Barcast costs five million. Ajeti costs six million. The price doesn't always tell you whether a player is going to be good enough. But Alan, like James, sort of touched on this. Um, how, like, how do you identify a young player who's good enough that hasn't already been snatched up by the better clubs? Because the, the reality is Celtic are playing in the SPFL against, you know, really poor opposition. They play five games, six games in Europe every season. Maybe more if they're lucky, if they go through into Christmas time, uh, European football. Um, their, their wage structure is much lower than, you know, low level championship uh, in England. And their scouting networks are much smaller than, the Portuguese sides, the Spanish sides, the German sides, the Dutch sides, the Belgian sides, the English sides, the Scot and and so on and so forth. So mm. how do you know that you're going to get talent that are young, that are going to have loads of upside and are also not already being tracked by the biggest clubs who can pay you more? Like that is, that's a really tough job. It, it, it is, but we've done it before. And again, you know, I, as James said, I think scouting in the younger market is becoming increasingly difficult. The sophistication and breadth of networks and the willingness of some clubs to invest heavily in, in very young players um, means that for Celtic, that's a very high, I think, a very high risk market. 
which is why I come back to my observation of what works is and what has been successful for Celtic is in this market of players that are probably 20, 21, 22, 23. They've been at a big club. It, they're not going to get in the first team, but they were good enough to be under consideration for where you know, they're at the age they probably be playing football. They might be considered to be highly rated, like Jota, for example, but the manager might be, yeah, maybe he's, I could put him on the bench, but I'm not sure he's going to play a lot type of thing. That's, there's a sweet spot there of players that what I'd call the natural wastage in, in elite level football, where they tend to stockpile a lot of players in these clubs, these big, the big sort of top five leagues. And, and, and of course, you know, they can't play them all. And, and there comes a point in, in those players' careers, and mainly I would say in their early 20s, where reserve team football isn't going to cut it anymore and they want to play. And they're willing to come to a club like Celtic at that point, in theory. And that's where we got Eduard. That's how we got Jota. That's how we got Carter Vickers. Now, there's different, to your point, there's different um, levels of evidence that are available in the sense of Carter Vickers. Uh, there was a uh, huge body of evidence. He played championship football in England for three or four seasons. No problem at all. Jota, like you say, 16 games at the bottom of the La Liga. What does that tell you? Um, you know, Edward, a, a few games at Toulouse, but they were clearly, they were at, you know, elite clubs and they were, there was lots of age grade football, was under 23 football, uh, you know, within their local league. So, you know, the English Academy League, etc., the development leagues and so forth are reasonably competitive and what have you. And you can get access to all those things now. So there is, there is, there is that evidence and it is a case of being smart. So we come back to, you know, how are we set up to succeed? Um, you know, when when um when when things like you go out of Europe and everyone's disappointed, everyone lashes out. And I've seen all this. Oh, you know, we blame the board or we blame Peter, you know Peter Lowell. Well, listen, let's let's get a couple of things straight, right? As far as I can see, so uh, listen, I would get rid of the Celtic board. I get rid of every single one of them on the basis that they've all been there too long and it's just poor corporate governance and the, and the club needs fresh blood. So let me make that straight for a start. But the board is there to set the budget and provide the resources to the various departments for them to to, to operate how they want. That's all being done. Right? Now it's over to the football operation. So the football operation then to decide to work how they're going to work within that budget. And I've seen no um, suggestion that Brendan Rodgers or anyone in the football department thinks their hands are tied behind the back as, as regards resources, as regards transfer funds, and as regards the wages they've got to play with, right? So let's let's put that to bed. It's got nothing to do with the board. Recruitment, it's got nothing to do with the board at this point. If they're not setting sufficient budgets, that's a different story. And let's just also put the Peter Lowell Aunt Sally to bed as well, right? Now, again, I will never forgive Peter Lowell for the Resolution 12 debacle. That, that was a line that he crossed there that there was no going back from me on that, right? So, okay. That's hopefully very clear to everybody. But if you think Peter Lowell is meddling in the football department and the football operations, come come to DM me, email me. I'm easily found. Show me the evidence because nobody I know, right, around the club has got any evidence that Peter Lowell is meddling in any way in football operations. So again, let's let's put that to bed, unless anyone's got, as I say, got any evidence to the contrary. So what does it come down to? It comes down to the football operations. Ange asked for a lot of upgrades to Lennox Town, both to the facilities and to the capabilities there. And that, as far as I'm aware, that's either being delivered or has been delivered, right? We do have all of the trappings that you'd expect from modern football. But it comes down to, to me, that, that, that again, that's the board modernising the football club in that sense. 
we've given long contracts to players that Rogers wanted to keep. So it comes down to the talent that's, that's operating the software and has the contacts and is talking to people, agents, scouts, and what have you around the globe. Are those people doing the job in such a way that you know we're identifying and, and, and bringing on board the right talent? And the evidence of the last six months is no, they're not. And to me, it's that simple. So at the moment, the, the people responsible for those operations are not doing the job properly. Yeah. Does it not come down to uh, the board to have the overall vision for the club and the plan in place that they get the right people in those positions in the first place, though? Like, I whether Mark Lawwell was the right person for the job or not, by the looks of it, he got the job based upon an Ange recommendation. That seems to be the most uh, recent bit of information that we're getting from the club. Um, or at least that's what they're saying now uh, at the EGM. Um, like, does that not come down to the board? Is it is it not their their responsibility to put the correct people in place under a correct plan? And James, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem that there's any coherent plan in in place at Celtic to bring it forward, other than hoping they get the recruitment right one year in order to bring in enough money to improve the recruitment the following year. It doesn't seem to be any sort of strategy. It just seems to be throwing as much shit at the wall and hoping to see what sticks. Yeah, I think the board is a, in my view, is a euphemism for uh, Dermot Desmond. And I think where there's accountability there is it seems like he's had an aversion to uh, kind of a true modernization of football operations. Um, you know, I, I would argue a bit of a Neanderthal view of the industry. Um, and I've, I've joked in talking about, uh, you know, one of my patented cross-sport uh, analogs in, in Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. I see a lot of similarities there um, uh, where how he's run the Cowboys since acquiring them um, took, you know, a very successful operation that was being well coached and well drafted and then basically you know uh i wouldn't say destroyed it but it's been a long long road of mediocrity and um so i think that is the part that is overhanging and there's i mean let's just call it what it is i mean it's there's obvious elements that we don't know because we're not insiders but there's obvious elements of nepotism um there's a culture of the boys club that you know, the jobs for the boys, that's all part of the culture that's been there. And I, I don't want to characterize that all as like a hundred percent negative. I mean, there's, there's admirable qual qualities to, you know, taking care of people or having people that are part of a community and a sense of camaraderie and an organizational culture, that kind of thing. So there, you know, it, it's none of this stuff's ever black and white. Um, but ultimately those two elements are the elephants in the room. Desmond's lack of modern vision and his him injecting himself into hiring a manager as God model. Um, and, you know, I, I would probably guess there's been some internal fighting. I don't think Dom McKay gets hired unless there was some pushing and pulling as far as maybe, you know, some people within the club or even within the board trying to go in a different direction. And I think this has kind of been that direction. I mean, we half asked this with bringing in, uh, Mark Lawwell, given his pedigree, it's, you know, at the city group. And um, so that it, cosmetically for people that don't really have a strong, um, progressive, forward thinking, strategic view, this would kind of be a half-assed way to do it. And that's what it looks like to me. 
Um, and, you know, so I, I think that does rise to the level of the board. But ultimately, as Alan's saying, like on a day-to-day basis of just like doing your job well, that ends at Nicholson. Like, you know, I, I would doubt that the board members are getting directly involved in any level of day-to-day operations. Um, so, you know, you know, the, the people that are in those roles, whether there's something that's going on there and again, being relatives is the obvious part. Um, but yeah, day to day, I don't think these guys are meddling in it. I just don't think we have whatever it is, whether it's culture, talent, um, you know, it's not happening in a decision-making basis to get the level of quality of talent. And, um, and that's, and again, that's not something that's new. I mean, this is, I would argue really since it started with the, the 10 in a row season going into that season and the incoherence of that transfer window. And we really have been getting worse since then. I mean, I, yeah. I, I would argue if you look at our overall talent level, we've been descending on a total talent basis. Um, I mean, if you look at our, our, our team from when Brendan Rogers left and now if you look at kind of just basic talent levels, I, I think we're materially lower than we were in 1819. Mm. This is a very boring uh, sort of <laughs> uh, solution here, Alan. But do you think an independent reviewer get bringing someone in from a club across Europe to come in, sort of like what, what Ragnick was supposed to do at United? Obviously, you're not going to get the likes of uh, Ralph Ragnick to come in and do it, but like an independent reviewer from a club that set up a successful model, hire them in, see what's going to happen, and then follow their follow their lead on it. Do you think that is a way down the road for Celtic? I don't, obviously that would take a lot of uh, onus on the board to give up some of their positions because I would imagine some of them would be tossed out quite quickly. But in terms of like, I think the quick solution is bringing better players. But I don't think that's as simple as people like to think of, oh, Celtic have 80 million in the bank, they can just go spend that. That doesn't mean, like, you know, you could give me 80 million, what am I going to come out, come come back with? You know what I mean? I have no expertise in in these industries at all. So, like, it, there's no point in having all this money if you don't have people who are going to spend it wisely. So um, what do you think of that? Well, absolutely. I mean, you could spend 800 million and be as shit as Man United. I mean, this is, this is the risk in Champions League football, unfortunately. So it's not, it isn't just a case of throwing throwing money at it, right? Um, it was interestingly, um, there was somebody on Twitter who was asking for, um, again, this is going to sound really boring, but bear with me. They were asking for the structure charts of football clubs of what their organisations look like. Now, this is the sort of thing that gets me all excited. Um, and, and, and there was a few came in, I looked at them, and of course they're all completely different. Uh, you know, there's no commonality about roles, no commonality about structures, reporting lines, anything like that. So what is the point of what I've just said? The point I've just said is that right, there isn't a magic formula here as regards if we implement this blueprint organizationally that we're going to suddenly have a fantastic football club it all comes down to talent and i keep saying this in a football club uh, it's not a big company right i know celtic hire a lot of people but 90 percent of them are match day operations people or, or, or heads off right you're going to have very few heads off uh, in in the organization right so the organization success is going to hang off the talents of 
of, of, of not much more than a handful of people, right? Maybe maybe a, less than a dozen for sure people, right? In the organization at the strategic level are going to set uh, the tone that's going that's to basically dictate the success of that football club, one of which will be the football manager, one of which will be the CEO, right? <clears throat> Head of recruitment, et cetera, et cetera. Right? There'll be a few key roles, right? And you've got to get the right people in those roles. And you've, not just that, they've got to work together. They've got to... They've got to get on professionally at least and, and, and all be pulling in the same direction. That's a whole new different set of uh, situations as regards kind of egos. So this isn't an easy thing to do. There isn't a magic um, kind of, uh, as I say, blueprint that every club's following on this and every culture of every club is different as well. So what the blueprint will be for Celtic will be unique to Celtic because they have to work with and around Dermot Desmond. Again, how many clubs have got a major shareholder that essentially you know, has no day-to-day -day executive authority in the club at all, yet seems to sort of have, have an incredible sway over key decisions of, uh, of, of the, you know, affecting the club. So someone's got to operate within all of that, right? And, and, and where I am at the moment, I'm settled, is that we don't have sufficient talent in the key uh, operational positions. I'm not calling out any particular individual. Um, I think um, in, a, in a general sense, I'm not, I don't know Michael Nicholson at all. I believe he's a very cap capable guy, but he's he's a lawyer, right? I wouldn't have a lawyer as a CEO. I wouldn't have an accountant as a CEO. So so there straight off the bat, I think we've got the wrong the wrong talent profile in that absolutely critical role, right? A CEO should be a, a, strat a strategic person, a visionary person, not someone that's worrying about risk all the time. That's what the risk office is for. That's what the that's what the head of legals for. That's number one. You know, we have got an excellent football manager, right? Head of head of head of recruitment, Mark Law. Again, I don't care what you call him, Law or not Law, right? Um, he's not a scout. He's not a football person. He's a manager, right? He's a manager. You know, I think James gave me an excellent article back here and describes what Mark Law's role was at Manchester City. He was there as somebody who coordinated other scouts and recruitment people across yeah, the city. Yeah, just to, just to clarify, you don't, yeah, you don't mean manager in the football sense, you mean manager as in like a day-to-day -day business well, manager. He's an administrator, he's a, he's, a, he's a manager of people, a manager of processes. He's not a, he's not a, foot, he's not a talent scout. He's not a, he's not someone that's going to, it's going to spot, you know, some, some kid in Senegal and say, oh, we, we must sign that person. He will know somebody in Senegal who might know somebody who, to talk to he's that kind of guy right he's not the guy that's going to find the, the player and yet he's the head of recruitment right? what, what is he actually doing who's actually spotting the players right all of that so again i don't want to fixate on individuals too much but the evidence of my eyes in terms of the recruitment over the last year is that we don't have the right talent in the in key positions i don't know which key positions we might have the best sports scientist in the world i don't know but it certainly is from recruitment perspective we don't seem to have the best talent in those key positions uh, to get you know the, the 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 bang for the buck that Celtic need, which is to be able to try and put a competitive team out, so that our our thirty million that we spend over two or three seasons is going to give Manchester United's eight hundred million badly spent at least a competitive game. Right, James. Last word to you because um, we need to wrap up here. Uh, <laughs> fast forward twelve months. Uh, are we in the same position next year? I don't think so. I think that 
I, I, as I read the tea leaves of what Rogers has been saying publicly, um, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't get more involved in what's been going on. I mean, I, I, it seems to me as if, because we talked about this when he was hired, right? I, I think the first, one of the first things I said when it, either in the, the show that we did when it became a serious rumor or when he was actually announced is I joked about my poor Irish accent and saying pace and power. And that I thought that our squad was horribly misaligned with what Rogers would look for in a team. And um, our recruitment window <laughs> did not rectify any of that. So I, I have a very hard time believing that, um, you know, this summer window was a strategic alignment of Roger's style of play with the type of player that, that makes sense given his style of play and, importantly, looking to take us up that next notch to be competitive at that, you know, uh, get it, getting over that hurdle against better competition. Um so I, to me, it's got to, one of two things are going to happen. Um, there's either going to be some kind of power struggle because whoever was making the decisions this summer doesn't want to give up power uh, or, you know, whoever that is, because again, we don't know. Um, or, you know, Rogers gonna, is going to assert power, which I think is the more likely scenario, uh, given the fact that he was brought back and that, you know, um, his profile as a professional uh, you know, if it was Mar Enzo Maresca that was brought in or, you know, it's one of these other guys, I would say probably not. But given who he is, I, I just can't imagine that this is going to continue along like this. Uh, that's not to say that it's going to be like an ideal scenario, but I, I can't. I mean, I, I was. I was pretty I took some, you know, bullets in, in doing threads on how ridiculous the Quan signing appeared to be at the time, uh, given the benchmarking analysis that I had done. Uh, you know, give the guy a chance and all this other stuff. And, you know, I, I wrote a similar one when we signed Ablogar. It's like, are we signing this guy to turn him into a center back? Because otherwise this makes no sense. You know, so there, there's some locker bilk did not make a lot of sense to me. It still doesn't when we signed him. Um, so there, there's just a level of basic, uh, in my mind, analytical uh, vigilance that hasn't been done. And I, I, I just can't imagine Rodgers won't address some of that. To get us up to a level of proficiency that will be a material improvement doesn't mean we're going to get to where we want to go or, you know, the ideal certainly. Um, but I, I just starting in the the winter here in January and then probably more importantly next next summer, obviously. Um, I do. I, I think there will be a material change. I think there has to be, or else, like yeah. I said, it, otherwise there's going to be. All, all hell will break loose because that means some kind of like interscene uh, power struggle at the club. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we'll park the show for this week because uh, I have to run and get a train. Frankly, we could talk for this uh, about this for hours uh, otherwise, but St. Johnson on Sunday. Uh, looking forward to that one. Yeah. Craig Levine's yeah. St. Johnston. Get that straight. Cal 
Can't wait for that. That's gonna be that's gonna be fun. Um, so <laughs> get get, re get ready for the the bus to be parked. I think is the. Uh... <laughs> oh, I can't wait to watch Celtic pass the ball backwards and sideways and in a circle for the next uh, for eighty five minutes um, on Sunday. Uh, until then, we will uh, chat to you later. Thanks to everybody who was uh, in the comments. Keep them coming. And uh, thanks to Alan and James, as always. We'll be back with the podcast next week, looking at uh, how many passes Celtic had at the edge of St. Johnson's box and how many shots they got from those. And uh, looking forward to it. We'll chat to you then. Good luck. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 